You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Just ain't the same. Old ways have changed. New days are strange. Is the world insane? If love and peace is so strong, why are the pieces of love that don't belong? Nations dropping bombs, chemical gases filling lungs of little ones. We're ongoing suffering as the youth die young. So ask yourself, is the loving really gone? So I could ask myself, really, what is going wrong in this world that we live in? And people keep on giving in, making wrong decisions, only visions of them dividends, not respecting each other. Deny thy brother. War is going on and the reason's undercover. The truth is kept secret and swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. Where's the love, y'all? I don't know. Where's the truth, y'all? I don't know. Cause people killing, people dying. Children hurting, you hear them crying. Will you practice what you preach? And would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us Send some guidance from above These people got me, got me questioning Where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love? Okay, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulder As I'm getting older, y'all, people get colder most of us only care about money making Selfishness got us following the wrong direction Wrong information always shown by the media Negative images is the main criteria Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria Kids wanna act like what they see in the cinema Whatever happened to the values of humanity? Whatever happened to the fairness and equality? Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity Lack of understanding leading us away from unity That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling under That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling down It's no wonder why sometimes I'm feeling under Gotta keep my faith alive till love is found I say, where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love? Cause we see it, right? People killing, people dying Children hurt and you hear them crying Will you practice what you preach? And would you turn the other cheek? Oh, Father, 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 help us Send some guidance from above These people got me, got me questioning Where is the love? I know you don't have to live much in life before you ask that question, where's the love? I mean, you work in places that are challenging, difficult, competitive. We live in a world and a culture where we see in our news feeds the violence, the brokenness of this world, and you got to scratch your head at times and say, like, where's the love at? This is a kickoff weekend, and every kickoff weekend we talk about the vision and mission of this local church. And uh, last year we talked a lot about what it meant to know God, and, and, and this year we want to talk about this is not knowing God, loving people, and impacting our city, but how crucial, how central loving people is. Now, if you're a kid in this room, you have an activity sheet. 
Uh, if you want to fill that in, this is one of your fill in the blanks. And this is really important because there's a dinosaur in the lobby after the gathering today. And if you bring your activity sheet to that dinosaur, there's a prize for you. Now, if you're not a kid here, you can high-five the dinosaur. But, but he'll be out there. The, the fact is, loving people is so much harder and so easy to say, so easy to talk about, very difficult to do. But love is the key. Love is the key because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you follow the person and life of Jesus, whether you're online in this room, you only do so because of love. I love how the Apostle John puts it. Pastor Keith mentioned this verse last week, and I'm going to use the verses around it. The Apostle John said it this way. He said, first we were loved. Before you had a name, you were loved. At the very beginning, before you even began, you were loved. First, you were loved. This is where you get the type of love that you need to share with others. So first we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a, ouch. <laughs> He's a liar. If he says, I love God, but he doesn't love someone else in this world, he's a liar. In fact, it goes on to say it this way. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? Only well, stands to reason, right? And then it comes with this beautiful command. Can you ever, everyone say the word command? Yeah, because nobody likes to be commanded. But actually, the Apostle John, he's inspired by God, says these words, and this is a command he gives. He says, the command we have from Christ is blunt. Love God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Can you say that last part with me? Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. But it's hard to love both, isn't it? I mean, there's a part of me that loves to love God in one circle, one circumstance. And sometimes when you get wrapped up in religion, sometimes you, 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 you build this vertical relationship with God where you love him and then you treat other people like they don't matter. And John is saying, it doesn't work that way. That the measure and depth of your relationship with God and the health of it is, is attached and strategically attached of the health and the love you have for other people. You can't have one and not the other. They go together. But love is tough. It's hard to love people that don't love you. It's hard to think people matter when you don't matter to them. So I, I think it's really important that we recognize, even in a room like this or online, that, that we're all very different in this room. It would be very difficult for me to say something here that we'll all agree on. In fact, let me help you understand how different you really are by playing a little game. Are you ready to play a game? It's called this or that. You ready? It's really simple. I'm going to give you two things, and you get to choose which one you prefer most. Like, for example, uh, how many love the color blue or red? But Pastor Jonathan, I like green. It's not on the screen. You don't get that choice. So whether you're online, jump in the chat room and you can answer this. I wonder how many by a show of hands, if you had to choose between these two colors, you would say blue is my favorite color or, or, or the one I would prefer. Keep your hand up. Okay, a lot of blues. Okay. How many would say red is my favorite color? Okay, the blues have it. The blues have it. It's about a 60-40 split here. Every gathering so far, blue has always won. I don't know what it is. It must be the sky is blue. Maybe that's it. 
Now, let's get a little bit more complicated. What about choosing between uh, like the meat and potatoes, the gravy, the peas? I grew up on this stuff, maybe some fish because I'm from the Maritimes. And our idea of spice was salt and pepper. I mean, that was the spice you had. You wanted spice in a meal, you had salt and pepper. Or, or there's this rich, spicy, delicious butter chicken, of which I never even knew existed when I was a kid. Look what I missed out on. So how many would say you like bland food or you like spicy food? So, okay, how many would say proudly, I love bland food? Put your hand up. I love bland food. Okay, there's about a dozen of you. Okay, uh, how many would say I love spicy food? Oh my goodness. Look, look around. Okay, let's, let's get even harder. This is going to split the house. I know it's going to split the house. It's, it's ice cream. I, I already know, no one, no, no, no one that's normal doesn't like ice cream. Uh, if you're lactose intolerant, you find the, the, the kind you can eat, right? But how, what flavor do you prefer? Who prefers chocolate ice cream? Okay, who, who would prefer vanilla ice cream over chocolate? Wow, look at this. This is, what, this is the one that shocked me all weekend, because I thought for sure, I know some chocolate addicts in my house, actually, and I thought chocolate would totally win the day, but it's not even close. It's like a 70-30 split in the place. H how about music? Music is not always easy to come on what you enjoy most. How many prefer a little bit, something that sounds like this, a little bit of jazz? A little Miles Davis? You know, you like the, how many would love jazz? You can put your hand up that jazz would be what you prefer. Well, there's a few of you. Uh, how many prefer something more like this? Get your lighters out. <laughs> Feeling it? How many get your hands up? Yeah, just start waving them. Like <laughs> I mean, the, the point of this exercise is simply this. There's very few things that I could say from the stage that we'd all nod our heads in the same direction. In fact, I could really split the house. We could talk politics. Because I already know that we have in our community, whether online or in this room, we have left-leaning, more socially progressive people that are part of our church. How do I know that? You email me. <laughs> I also know that we have more right-leaning, socially conservative people. How do I know that? <laughs> you talk to me. <laughs> I, I know that. And, you know, that could split us very easily. In fact, you know, in Jesus' day, he faced the same thing. More right-wing leaning, they were the Pharisees. More left-wing leaning, they were the Sadducees. And their ethic was very different. There was a moral ethic in the Pharisees. There was an inclusion ethic in the Sadducees. And you know what? Both groups struggled with Jesus. He wasn't nearly as conservative as one group wanted and not nearly as progressive as another group wanted. See, it's interesting. They elevated the moral ethic. They elevated the inclusion ethic. And Jesus was elevating the love ethic. Now, was Jesus not saying morality mattered or inclusion mattered? Well, you already know that's not true. You know, to Jesus, morality mattered. So did inclusion matter. All of that mattered to him. But if your moral ethic and your inclusion ethic is not leaving you to be a deeper and more loving person, then you better check your ethic. Because for Jesus, it was a love ethic. Now, I could split the house by talking about sex today, sexuality, because I know there's a diversity of opinions here. How do I know that? You email me. <laughs> and I know this, that we would have trouble agreeing with what the Bible says in certain areas. 
Now, don't get me started on theology. I know if I started down the theological path, it would be very difficult for us all to nod in the same direction. I think because we're in a church building today, maybe I get most of us nodding in the uh, same direction. I know if I said this, Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He came and he died on a Roman cross. He was buried in the grave, and three days later, he rose from the grave. I know a lot of people in this room would be nodding their heads. Now, I've staked my life on that. I was a skeptic far removed from that, and it was really my search in history. It was the historical research I did that led me to the conclusion that there was a lot of facts based on this that allowed me to take a step of faith to stake my life on those truths. But I know if we're honest, there'd be some of you who'd say, listen, you had me up until rose from the grave. <laughs> or, or Jonathan, I'm not quite there today. And we wouldn't agree. We might not nod the same way. But I know I could make a statement. I think everyone will nod in the same direction. And it's simply this. People matter. As much as we are different from each other, we may disagree with each other, we may not have the same preferences, appetites, beliefs, or truths, but I think we'd all say people, people matter. People matter a lot. And I think that's a nice thing to say, loving people and people matter, and there's a, it sounds like a Hallmark card, right? A little sentimental Hallmark card, and there's a part of you that goes, yeah, people matter, but I also know we all have people matter dilemmas. We all have loving people dilemmas, don't we? I mean, we all do. My neighbor really matters, but sometimes my privacy matters more. My wife really matters, but sometimes Netflix matters more. <laughs> I, I mean, your children really matter, but sometimes your work matters more. Your friends matter, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, those people you're connected to, they matter, but sometimes social media matters more. The person waiting on your table at lunch matters. The homeless person you encounter matters. The person you share a work cubicle with, they matter a lot, but sometimes they don't matter as much as what you want. Sometimes what we want matters more than the someone that might be in our life. Now, this is true and probably best illustrated in marriage. I, I have been married 26 years. 26 years. And I've learned a lot over 26 years. I've learned that I can actually do something I really want to do while listening to someone that does matter in my life, but paying attention to something that I want to pay attention to. You ever been there? Where, you know, I can multitask, whether it's video game or watching a movie or actually typing or communicating and stuff while a conversation is happening. And I've learned the art of saying, uh-huh. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and, and normally I get away with it. You know, I, I can get what I want and still have the people that matter in my life there. Uh, and I normally don't get caught. But every once in a while, I'll hear Shelly's voice trail up at the end of a sentence. I realize, oh, shoot, that's a question. And I wasn't listening. And I can't say yes because I might be saying yes to something I don't want. Or I can't say no. So I'm going to help everyone out here. If you've ever been there, I've mastered this. I have a PhD in this. I know I do. There's some ways you can respond when you get caught in those moments where someone's asking a question and you're not really paying attention to them because you're doing what you really want to do. Here's one of the ways you can respond. You can just respond with saying, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I love that response because if she comes back and says, what do you mean, what are you going to do? I'd be like, well, what do you mean? And then when she tells me, I know now and I'm good. 
So it's a way, it's a, it's a little like this one. You've got to throw it in because you can't do this all the time because you'll be on to you. So, so you go, like, well, it is what it is. <laughs> what do you mean it is what it is? Well, what do you mean by it? Then you're in. Here's one of my favorite ones. It's just, tell me about it. Because it could be a question, it could be a statement. So either way, when she's asked a question, then I know, I, you know I'm giving her opportunity to tell me more. Tell me more, and that more will contain what I need. So I'm, you know, I don't get caught in that moment. My favorite, but you can't do this, guys. If you're in your 20s or 30s, this won't work. But when you get in your 40s like me and up, this works. When you, when you haven't paid attention, and yet the question comes and you're caught, you just kind of do this. You go, what was that? You got to pull on your ear like you're losing your hearing. You know, you just kind of feign a little bit like you're losing your hearing. If you do it consistently enough, they're going to know they're going to give you a pass every time. Every time. Now, listen, Jesus never did any of those things. Here's the beautiful thing about the person of Jesus and why I just am enamored with him. is because people mattered to him more than what he wanted. People mattered a lot to Jesus. People were loved by Jesus in a way that's hard to understand. See, loving people is easy as long as they act like us, look like us, think like us, and believe like us. I mean, it's pretty easy. The fact is, friends, people matter as often to us, they met, people matter to us as long as we matter to them. I mean, it's easy to love people who love us. How do you love people who don't love you? How, how do you value people who don't value you? How do we impact this city and love it in a way that could actually change people's lives? How do you do that? Well, I want to focus in Mark chapter 15 on a person that we don't even get their name. He's the centurion who stood at the foot of the cross as Jesus is being crucified. And we don't know a lot about him. We know from church folklore there's additional writings around it, but I don't want to go there. We're just going to deal with what we see in the Bible. Here's, here's what we do know about him. We know his, matter, his job matters a lot to him because he's a centurion. A centurion, depending on the time of the Roman Empire, would oversee between 80 and 100 military soldiers. And they did that not by getting uh, paying or they did this by being better than the rest of them. They were the first ones over the enemy's lines. Many centurions were killed in battle because they had to be the first one out there, the first one in the enemy lines. They were tough, they were rugged. If you were gonna be a centurion, your job had to matter and his job mattered to him. We also know, that, we know this about him, that Jews did not matter to him. He executed them with great regularity. In the Roman culture at that time, Jews would have been like dogs. So. Jesus certainly didn't matter to him. I, I, I imagine his day started out like this that day when Jesus was crucified. His wife says in the morning, what are you doing today? He went through his phone. He looked and he said, ah, another Jewish agitator. He's going to have to be dealt with today. And by dealt, that usually meant flogged and killed. I know this. Jesus didn't matter to him. I know his job mattered to him. I, I think when you read the account in Mark chapter 15, the Pilate, Pilate, the Roman governor, hands over Jesus to the centurion and the soldiers to be flogged. And this is something easy to just glass over, and I won't go into too much detail today, but it was a horrific event. It was terrible. There's a reason why historians say that six in ten people who were flogged, they died right there. This was not just a, a, a small whipping, not to make light of any whipping. This was something humiliating, 
as he was stripped bare. And it was pain inflicting in a way that I won't describe in this setting because we have our kids with us. But actually, there's a, there's a theolo- or historian named uh, Eusebius of Caesarea. If you Google him and you Google the word flogging or whipping next to it, he does a great account of how this happened in the ancient culture. And some of you are already losing me. You're just like, why would I want to read how horrible that was? Why would I want to think about how terrible the cross was, the crucifixion that Jesus went through, the, the torture before the cross that he faced? Why would you want to know that? Well, if you really want to understand how much people matter to Jesus, you really need to understand how much he was willing to endure for people. You know what that's like in your own life. People can say they love you, but when they're willing to endure something on your behalf, you know they love you. You know, you can measure it almost by that. And the person of Jesus is interesting, especially if he's new and you're listening in for the first time. It's interesting. He's not a victim in this. He chooses this path. In John chapter 10, he says these words, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. He chooses this path. He chooses to lay down his life. In Matthew 26, the account there, it's pretty interesting. It talks about a celestial host of people. It says there's 12 legions of angels. That was 72,000 angels that were waiting. They were there. If Jesus just so uttered a word, it would be over. I imagine with every crack of that whip, every hammering of that nail in his hand, they're just there just saying, Jesus, just say the word, and this is over. Just say the word, and we will step in, and this will end. But Jesus doesn't do this. Why? What could cause him to endure what he went through? In Matthew's account, you can see the soldiers ridiculed him. They mocked him. They made a crown of thorns and they put it on him, all in jest. And to the centurion, he doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't matter to him. He's standing at the foot of the cross as he would to control the crowds and the execution. He's overseeing it all. So he's right there in the front row seat. And something happens, and this is what fascinates me about the centurion. He doesn't matter to Jesus, or Jesus doesn't matter to him, and by the end of it, Jesus does matter to him. Why? What happened? He actually says this about the centurion. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, said, surely this man was the Son of God. What happened? I mean, what would happen that he would come to the conclusion at the beginning of the day, this man didn't even matter to him, and now he's saying he's the son of God? Like, how did this all happen? You know, and if you know the account, maybe you might be tempted to say, well, listen, when Jesus died, it says that the, uh, the earth turned dark and the ground shook. I mean, that's pretty startling. Maybe that was a moment the centurion said, oh, this must be the son of God. I don't think so, though. Because a lot of people felt the ground shake and felt the darkness cover the earth, and they didn't confess this. Maybe it was something he said from the cross, though. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think that was a moment, though. This centurion would not know that Jesus was quoting an ancient psalm that predicted this crucifixion before a crucifixion was ever invented. 
He didn't know that. He didn't know what the prophet said, that he was actually in this moment bearing all the weight of everything that was evil and vile and sinful in this world on his shoulders. He had no idea what the Messiah was supposed to do in a Jewish context. He was not steeped in those old scriptures. So he didn't know that was going on. So I don't think that was the place. Maybe it's when he saw the tenderness of Jesus on the cross. Jesus looked down at the crowd and he saw his mom. He's standing next to John, and Jesus, in a voice as loud as he could muster, said, John, take care of my mom. I don't think that centurion heard that very often, not from that cross. But as beautiful as that was, I don't think that was the moment. I think the moment Jesus started to matter to this man was the moment that he realized that he mattered to Jesus that he mattered to Jesus. See, at the foot of that cross, he had heard men shout all kinds of things. He had heard them plead for mercy. He had heard them hurl curses at him, but they were all empty promises and empty threats and empty curses. It was regular. It would have come from him. It would have been a natural response in this moment. I don't think that's what he felt. It's when he heard Jesus say something that made him stop in his sandals. In the midst of this man who has just been flogged, a horrific experience, humiliated and then nailed to a cross, he hears the same man say, Father, forgive them. I think that was the moment. Because that was not just forgive the people, the religious people. That was forgive the centurion. I think... It started to matter when he saw what, how much he mattered to Jesus. What kind of love is that? The moment he mattered to Jesus, it's a no matter what type of love. It's a kind of love that's available to every one of us in this room and online. It's a type of love that God has towards all of his creation, left-leaning socialists, right-leaning conservatives, Wealthy and poor people, healthy and sick people. He has it for smart people and not so smart people. <laughs> LGBTQ, hetero people, whatever it might be. Atheists and even fundamentalists. He has that type of love for successful people and people who are failure. There's, this is a beautiful truth of the gospel and it bothers people. It bothers them. There is nothing you can do that will make you matter more to Jesus. And there's nothing you can do that'll make you matter less to Jesus. That's what we call good news. It's bad news if you're trying to earn favor. It's good news if you know you can't. There's nothing you can do that'll make you matter more or less to Jesus. Friends, that's the type of church we want to be here. We want to be the kind of church that knows how to love people like Jesus loved them. A no matter what church. A, a love people kind of church. Because I think often when people think of church or sometimes even other people, they think when people say love people, there's an asterisk next to the word love. And it merely means love the people that think like us, believe like us, and act like us. Aren't you glad, though, when the Apostle John wrote in another portion of the Bible, when he, there was no asterisk next to the word love when he said, for God so loved this world. Who did he mean? Everyone. Everyone.
everyone. Were we all lovable? No. But he loved the entire world no matter what. If you don't have a copy of the gospel, go to our Next Steps Lounge, grab one. If you're online, jump in the chat room, say you need one, we'll get one to you. Because when you read the story of Jesus, you realize, man, he, when he walked this earth, he had a way of going towards people who felt like they didn't matter to God to let them know they mattered. He included them in a way that's so beautiful. He went out of his way so they know that they matter to God. You know, it's interesting in Isaiah, says this, the prophet, he, he prophesied in advance what would happen to Jesus. And he said, but Jesus was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. Do you see what he endures here? He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. What could make someone, what was so worthwhile going through all of that? Why, what was of such value? Well, you were. You were. You might not feel very valuable today. That's not how God sees you. I was thinking about this week. I was thinking about the moment that I was trying to sell my car. I had a 1993 Honda Accord. I had it for years. This thing served me well. I dragged my two little boys all over the nation in car seats in the back of this thing. It had 360-some thousand kilometers on it. It owed me nothing, but I was going to sell it. I don't like selling vehicles. Nothing ever goes the way I think it should. Someone had told me, though, you can put it in an auction in the Toronto area. You'll get a lot of money. This is the way to go. So I did. I drove my 1993 Honda Accord to this auction. I left it there, and I went home. Because two weeks later, in the mail came a check. Oh, we have millennials in the room, don't we? A check is a piece of paper, <laughs> and you just kind of got to write the amount on. And this is how it works. This is how it's always worked. And then you take it to the post office, and then you buy a stamp, you put it in an envelope, you address it, and then it's mailed. A few days later, it shows up at the intended recipient's house. They get it, they open it up, they drive to the bank, they put it in the ATM or to the teller, then they wait two weeks for it to clear, and then they get their money. It's, a, it's just like an e-transfer with 24 extra steps. That's all it is. So I got this check in the mail, and I ripped it open, and it was for $125. And I was like, how many coffees can I buy with this? I got coffee money from my car? I learned a valuable lesson, though. The car was only worth what someone was willing to pay for it. You ever learned that lesson in life? You sell something on Kijiji, and it was worth, you bought it for this, and you think it's worth this, and someone's willing to give you this. You learn quickly that something is only as valuable as what someone is willing to pay for it. The cross was the price that God was willing to pay for you. See, here's the interesting thing. I don't get to ascribe value to the people in my life. Jesus has already done that. So that means all those people that irritate you, those people you want to get on Twitter and tweet about, those people that when you rub shoulders with them, even the people that you know you don't matter to them and you know they don't love you, how much are they worth? That much. Everything. Jesus would not spare his own son for them. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Sometimes, though, we need a Jesus-level love to love some people in this world, don't we? When it comes to loving people and establishing the value of them, regardless of your religion, regardless of your economic status, your orientation, your generation, whatever it might be, God full-on loves everyone, even the people that are hostile towards them, towards him. See, what changed the centurion? This is so powerful, and we're almost done here. What changed the centurion is the same thing that can change a church, can change a person, and can change a city. And it's love. And sometimes I don't like that word because we think hallmark sentiments right away. But it's not a love just packed with words. It was a love packed with service. You know this about this. You've had people in your lives that tell you they love you and they say all kinds of things. But when the chips are down, where are they? You know this. Love is demonstrated by the way people, what they're willing to endure on your behalf. That's how love is demonstrated. Love people. People matter. Yes, we can nod in the same direction. But how are you doing at serving people? You know, that's how I measure my love quotient. You know, how are you doing at serving your parents? Is it a tough season in life? Is it requiring a lot of extra of you? Is it inconvenient? Well, maybe this is precisely where you see where love is. How are you doing at serving your children? Are they extra drama, extra grace required? (laughs) Your brother, your sister, your work colleagues, your fellow students. How are you doing at loving? Well, I don't know how I'm doing. How are you doing at serving then? See, maybe inside of us, and this is where we need to be careful, is what we want more important to us than what really matters. Are you on the computer while someone's talking and they don't really matter in that moment? Here's the big one for me. Is your ambition outpacing your compassion? Have you ever noticed that? The more ambitious and driven you get, people matter less unless they can help you get to where you want to be. So is your ambition outpacing your compassion? Is the need to be served greater than your need to serve others? Has your sense of entitlement damaged your sense of engagement with the people around you? Maybe for some of us, the best thing we could do is decide today. Decide to love. Decide to serve. Here's the beautiful thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're able to tap into a love that allows you and gives you the ability to love people that you don't presently love. Now, we may say we love people, but when we begin to rub shoulders with them, that love goes away pretty quick. It's not a sentimental love. It's a gutsy love. So, some of you at the end of this gathering, some of you are going to go out and... We have a gift for everyone who's been serving here. But some of you might be saying, listen, I want to roll up my sleeves. I want to serve. I want to to serve. I don't want to be just a consumer in my home. I don't want to be just a consumer in my church place or my workplace. And the way you do that is you've got to push back against that thing inside of you that says, serve me. And the way you do that is by serving others. It's like why I give. It's one of the reasons I give. But when Shelly and I give, we are also pushing back at that greed inside of us that says, it's mine. It's all about me. And every time I do that, I'm pushing back against that. We're going to choose to love. And when we choose to love, we grow deeper into the things that God loves. So friends, in a moment, our band's coming back. They're going to sing a song they wrote called Flip the Script. 
It's a worship song. It's going to give you a chance. It's a story of what Jesus did for everybody, regardless of who you are today. But before we get there, I want to pray with you. But you did notice that, did you get a glow stick on the way in here? Yeah? Oh, you didn't? Okay, on the way out, you'll get one. You know why we gave you this? It's a reminder this week that even in the most difficult relationships or situations, how can you glow the love of God wherever you go this week? It's a choice that you and me and we make together. You know, we can be a church. Let's be different, though. Let's, know, let's show that we know God by the way we love each other first. I, you know, I, I shared a couple weeks ago, I have friends from every generation. I hope you do, too. There is something rich about having people that are much older than you in your life and people that are much younger than you in your life. You need that. I need that. We all need that. There's something about having friends that are outside your cultural mix. Boy, what a beautiful thing. Way to get stretched and you get to enjoy the beauty of life and the creation that God has given us. These are choices you make to lean into community. So how we love each other and then ultimately how we love this world. Let's pray. Father, we have talked about your son, Jesus. We have sung about your son, Jesus. We have talked about what he was willing to endure for the people that really mattered in this world. And God, I pray that by your spirit, everyone listening, whether online or in this room, would, would realize in this moment that we're one of them. We're one of the ones that matter. It doesn't matter what's in our bank account. It doesn't matter where we are in our status in life. It doesn't matter what our relational status is. God, I'm so thankful that we follow a single adult that lived a life that was perfect. He lived a life that we couldn't live. And yet, God, he allows us to enjoy the, the record, his record, and God, he absorbed on that day on the cross every piece of brokenness in our lives, every bad decision we've made, everything that we've done that's harmed others, hurt ourselves, or has tattered or broken our relationship with you. So God, uh, I say, just on behalf of the people listening here, because I think we'd all lean in and want to say, thank you, Jesus. Like, really, thank you, Jesus. And God, I pray, Lord, that your grace which is freely available but cost a lot, would be something that all of us in this room would take hold of in this moment. So God, we lay before you the relationships and the people that are in our lives. And God, I know that there's a mixture in that, that, that litany of relationships. There are some that are easy to love. There are some that are, are more revenue neutral. It's okay. And there's some that are really hard to love. God, I pray for supernatural love from you that we would be able to love the people in our lives in a way that would point to you, Jesus. God, I pray for my friends in this room that maybe haven't experienced the love of God in their lives. And this is an opportunity for you, friends, just open your hearts to what Jesus might say to you. You know, you don't have to be a religious person. You may be thinking, like, I, I, I'm not even... I don't even know why I'm here today. I'm here because somebody wanted me to come. <laughs> it's okay. I just want you to know this and to resonate in your heart and mind as you leave here. No matter what you think or believe, God loves you. You matter to him. 
And God, I pray, Lord, that everyone here too would have a strong sense, as imperfect as we are as a community, that this church would say, you matter to us. You matter to us also. And God, I pray, Lord, that each of us would take a step deeper into your love and we'd be able to acknowledge what Jesus has done for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Love you, church. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.